So who gets to name God? Um, there are nicknames for God in the scriptural texts that we have. There's, there's Most High, there's Lord, there's Redeemer, but those are like nicknames for God. And you may have come up with your own nicknames for God when you find your kids with a Sharpie, um, when you haven't noticed that, or when you kick your pinky toe into a piece of furniture. I've come up with some very creative names for God in the midst of that. That is the worst, but no one gets to name God. Right. Of course, like throughout our faith story, God gives people names all the time. God's giving people a name that reveals something deep and true about them. So he gives like Peter, Rock, that name. Or, or Jacob, he gives this new name, Israel, which means one who wrestles with God, which became the name of the people in his family. And so just know, wrestling with God runs in the family. It's the family business. These names reveal something deeply true about identity and about who we are, but no one gets to name God, except for one person in Scripture, one unlikely person who saw something deeply true about the identity of God and had the courage to name it. And isn't it true that so often it is through listening to the courageous voices of the unlikely and the marginalized, that we learn something new about God, about others, about ourselves. And this person, she named God. And she taught us something deeply true about God. And her name was Hagar. Her name meant stranger. And to the powers of the world, she was just that. She was an African Egyptian maidservant to a great patriarch. And to the culture, she was not much. She was vulnerable and oppressed and exploited. But to God, she was of infinite worth. She was called beloved. She was a child of God of sacred worth. That was her true name. And it was deeply true. Not a stranger, but known. And so it shouldn't surprise us if you've hung out around open from time to time that, that, it's, that we discover that it's through Hagar that we encountered the divine and hear a new name for God. As we echo in our liturgy, God loves the vulnerable and lifts the oppressed and draws near to us in those moments. And so in places like Psalm 146.8, it says simply, God watches over the strangers. God upholds the widow, the orphan and the widow, the children and the women and all of those in vulnerable situations, God draws near to them in steadfast love and fierce compassion, just like Jesus did. And so if we want to find God, if we're seeking after God, this is where we should be looking. If we want to hear God, we've got to step down from the heights. We've got to hear God in the courageous stories. And when we do, when we listen, we just might find a new name for the God we're seeking after. But also know that this is true for you. It is not just true historically, it is true right now. That God loves you in this way, in those places where you feel most vulnerable right now. So if this week, in this season, you're, you're carrying heavy weights, just know that God sees you and knows you and is drawing near with loving kindness and gentle strength that heals and calls you by your name. Beloved, child of God, of sacred worth, of infinite beauty. And in the midst of your life, God calls on us and empowers us to treat ourselves with that same gentleness and kindness and steadfast love that God is extending to us always. So in the hope of hearing a new name today, I want us to hear 
Hagar's story. But before we go on, um, I want to take a few minutes, uh, moments of prelude to sort of set the stage for this and to say honestly to us that the stories in the Bible are sometimes messy and they are sometimes difficult. And this is one of those stories because they are the stories of people. They're the stories of our world and the brokenness of it and the broken ways that sometimes we treat each other. But it is also the story of God working within it and through it and among it. And in our messes and our difficulties and the power structures of our world, God is pulling this world as it is toward the world that should be and must be and will be. And the arc of the moral universe, as Dr. King said, is long, but God is bending it toward justice and liberation and restorative healing, all welcoming love, and our God is inviting us to join this work. And so the story that we find in Hagar is powerful, but it is very hard. And part of what makes it so hard is that the world it describes does not look that different than the world that we live in. In the world of the last few years, the world of the last few weeks. So when we meet Hagar, she is a vulnerable woman. She's an ethnic minority in a world of patriarchs and power that did not see her and name her or give her a voice, respect her autonomy or the autonomy of her body. The world did not, and in a way that is so challenging to us. In this story, the people of God did not either. But God did. God did. God did see her and respect her and know her and believe her and love her. God did. And so those words are some of my favorite theological words of all, but God. <laughs> Not enough to get a tattoo of them yet. I'm working on it. <laughs> but they're up there because those are words of hope and strength and courage and identity and liberation and transformation even amidst this world, but God. This life can be broken and unloving, but God loves, but God sees, but God believes, but God cares. And so what I want to talk about today is joining God in that caring. And it's not a political conversation, it is a human conversation. It's not about the past few days, it's about every day. It's not about how we should vote, it's about how we should be, how we must be, how God calls us to be toward each other. Because we're all people of this broken world, but God. But God is moving and God is calling us to be people of more, to be people of that long arc of love and liberation in our world, for our world, for all of us. In some weeks, it might be heavy and it might seem so dark, but God's light cannot be overcome. But God, but our God can change everything and us included. And so that is what this conversation is about. So back to Hagar. <laughs> we meet Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. She's serving as a servant in the household of Abram and Sarai. Who's patriarch and the wife of the first family that we meet in the library of Scripture. And so Abram and Sarai were told that they were going to have a child, and through that child, their family would, come, would become a great people that would bless all the families of the world. And so they waited, and they waited, and 
they waited for years, and the child never came. And, and Sarai, at this point in the story, was in her 80s, and that's just too long to wait, no matter what the golden girls tell us. <laughs> so Sarai and Abram concocted a plan to conscript Hagar, the maidservant, into surrogacy. It's a maidservant who did not have a choice in the matter. And I don't want to move past that detail like it's another Bible story. I want to make sure that I hear, that we hear that story, and that we care. This was not right. This was wrong. And it was not Hagar's fault. She didn't have a part to play in this. It was wrong. Abram was wrong. Sarai was wrong. This was wrong, and the effects of it were devastating. So in the aftermath of this moment, Hagar ran and she fled from the community into the desert in fear and in shame into the desert where she could be what she felt, unseen and unknown and vulnerable. But God, but God saw her and knew her and knew who she truly was, that she was of sacred worth even if no one else saw. God loved her and knew how courageous her journey was. And in Hagar's moment of vulnerability, God was there with her gentle and tender and strong. And so we pick up that story in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord, this messenger of God, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Do you see that question? Where did you come from and where are you going? God is listening to her story. And by listening, telling her that this journey that she is on matters. God is drawing near and calling her by name, Hagar. And God does the same thing for us in those times that we find ourselves in the wilderness of this life. God sees you and calls you by name and listens because your journey matters. And I don't know exactly what God said between the lines to her. Um, God does a lot more listening than talking in Scripture and in life, believe it or not. But it was probably something in the vein of what my friend Laura Turner said this week. She just confessed this. She said, I find myself wanting to say just the right thing, to provide comfort and care to all the women who are hurting, to say God sees you and knows how heroic your journey is, even if no one else knows. So be as gentle and tender with yourself as you would a tiny baby. You are so loved, child of God. You're so loved. God sees you. God knows. God cares. And what was said next to Hagar in that moment gave her hope, and it promised that God was going to be there to fight for her on her journey every step of the way. God was with her for the long haul, which was so important, because Abram may have just gone on, but this changed Hagar's life and the trajectory of her story. But into that moment, a loving, restoring God stepped in and said, it may seem like it, but it is not the end of your story, not the end of your life's story. I have more. I have a promise for you, a promise for your flourishing and your healing and not for your harm, a promise to give you hope and a future. And here's what the messenger says. It says, you will have a son. You shall call him Ishmael. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Ishmael means God hears us. 
And the angel of the Lord said this also to her, said, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for their multitude. And the messenger in this moment when her story seemed like it just might be over, the messenger gave her an amazing restorative promise that her story ahead was to be one of new life, of growth, of flourishing, of multiplying, which is so beautiful. Because over and over, no matter what it seems like is lost, God gives more. God multiplies. You have not lost yourself, your courage, your voice, your fire, your friends, your future, your sacred worth, and you have not lost your God who is on your side, who's on the side of survivors. This is the promise of God, and this is the same promise that God speaks over you. Another thing that makes this promise so beautiful and so incredibly transgressive is that this very promise was that same generational multiplying promise that was given to Abram in the beginning, at the beginning of this whole story. And now it was being spoken over this Egyptian African servant, single mom who had suffered. And God gives Hagar the same promise, equally, without distinction, the promise of God. And so know this in our world, that though it seems like there are hierarchies, and inequalities of promise, depending on our gender, our nationality, our class, our race, our religion, our orientation in our world, it is not God. The world may have those distinctions, but God is for all families of this earth, male, female, single, across the spectrum, making no decision and distinction, but especially drawing near to the hurting with love and promise. As children of God, we are called to be people of that promise and of that love in our world. And so Hagar, she'd been seen and she'd been heard by God, by a God that she wasn't even sure was hers before that day. And from that experience, she gives God a name. So who gets to name God? Hagar does. And she teaches all of us something new about who God is and about who we should be as children of God. And this is what it says. It says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You are the one who sees me, God, who hears me, who believes me, who cares. Hagar says, I have seen Elroy, the one who sees me. That is God's name. God sees you and hears you and believes you and knows how heroic your journey is, even if no one else sees. You are so loved by the God who sees. And so in this story and, and throughout history, the people of God have sometimes been wrong. Sometimes they have caused deep harm. But God, but God loves, but God draws near, but God heals, but God restores, and but God keeps pulling us forward towards promise. And there are, there are many in this world, and we want to be among that number who are people of the God who sees, who choose to see and to hear and to believe and to care and to be for each other. 
with open arms and open hearts because that is who God is. That is God's name, Hagar tells us. And we want to love like that with you and for you, living into the promise of a God who sees. But being people of a God who sees right now also calls us into action because God also sees the brokenness of our world and the pain and the injustice that it causes. God sees it, and God is at work. So from the beginning of the human story, God has been at work to heal the brokenness of our world. I like to think of it in in two ways. At the surface, working to alleviate the effects of our brokenness. In our world, hunger and suffering and abuse and injustice, the effects of our brokenness. And at the same time, God is at work at the depths of our heart to transform the causes. Our own brokenness that causes us to do harm to our neighbor, to ourselves, to our relationship with God. Working in two dimensions, liberation and transformation. And we see that work in Jesus who who worked feeding the hungry, but also transforming the hearts that allowed hunger to exist in the first place. This is the way of Jesus, liberation and transformation. It is the way and the work that love does in our world. And that must be our work as well, particularly right now. We must join God in seeing the brokenness in our world and in our culture. We must hear survivors and believe them and get to work in the way of Jesus, in love responding to the effects of this brokenness with compassion and community and hope and healing and liberation and love and justice for the survivors, for Hagar, all the while in gentleness and love, saying you are a beloved child of God of sacred worth. And we must also get to work at the depths of ourselves, at the root causes in our world, the the broken patterns of inequality and violence and power and gendered oppression that are so toxic and that do so much harm. We must be about this work. Statistics tell us that one-third of women globally are assaulted in their lifetime, and many men as well across the gender spectrum. It is hard. But even if it were just one out of seven billion, it would be infinitely too many. This world is broken, but God. But God sees and calls us to more. And so I take responsibility for my part in this. This is the first sermon that I've ever preached on this topic, which is heartbreaking to me, that it's taken me to 2018 to to speak up. But I don't want to be quiet any longer, and none of us should. We must speak up and we must speak out. We must say no to objectification and denigration and humiliation. There is no locker room in this world where a single word or a joke should be allowed to stand. We must shut it down. We've got to treat women equally in our world. We've got to treat them equally in our workplace, in every way. We've been rolling at 73 cents on the dollar for so long. Maybe it's time for us to just go a little bit out of our way to make sure that women's voices are heard first and most and that women's promotions are treated in that very same way. And we must teach ourselves and we must teach our boys that the bodies of others are sacred and the wounds from breaching that sacred trust are profound and deep. In all things, we must teach them this whether it's about holding hands or whether it extends on into marriage. We need to teach them about consent. The consent must be mutual. 
and continual and coherent and clear and enthusiastic, never pressured or coerced, period. And if it is not those things, it is wrong. Boys, we need to memorize that like it's the scout pledge and be able to say that and recite that and know that deep in ourselves. We've got to, we've got to change. But the most important action that we've got to take is that we must listen. Our actions start by listening and seeing because we are people of a God who hears. We are people of the God who sees. So we need to listen and learn and lament, and we need to listen some more and hear and see and believe. We need to care. We need to care enough to examine ourselves and to change and to change our world to do the most that we can to alleviate the effects and eliminate the causes just like Jesus did. And when we listen, what we say to those around us is we say that your life matters, what happens matters, that you are sacred worth and you are worth living to, listening to. And as we do, we just might begin to hear and see the way that God sees. But we might also see something else. We might just see a glimpse of transformation of liberation, of a way toward hope and the promise that has been spoken over humanity and the way to live it out in our generation. That hope that is being held to and worked toward tenaciously in the lives of our sisters and siblings and in their hope and in their work, we might find hope multiplied. Because God has worked through the voices of women before. This is exactly where hope has shown up before. And so, one last story. Um, about 1,800 years after Hagar, there was a guy named Jesus. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him before. And in Jesus' circle, there were women that Jesus listened to and saw and believed and cared for. Uh, women who in many ways were heirs of the promise of Hagar. And in his empowerment of these women, women like Mary and, and Salome and Mary Magdalene and Martha and Joanna and more, Jesus' revolutionary equality changed everything for them because he lived like a God who sees them. But then when the unimaginable happened, when Jesus was arrested and crucified and buried, in the midst of the, of the darkest and most devastating circumstances, the brutal loss of someone who truly saw them, these amazing women kept showing up in courage and in bravery and in compassion to care for the body, to offer prayer, even though it seemed like hope was gone and sealed up behind a tomb. But God, but God was not done. Hope was not gone. And so on Easter morning, that stone that seemed immovable rolled away and hope and life broke through amidst the darkness. And it was these women who were at the tomb who saw it first. They were the ones who saw hope. They were the ones that the messenger of God gave the news that hope was alive and that everything was different. They were the ones who saw the promise for all the families of the earth. And they were the ones that headed out in bravery and courage to tell the world that hope was true, that light shines in the darkness. But here's how Luke tells the next part. Returning from the tomb, the women told all this to the eleven, and to the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Brothers, these women had the hope of the world, 
and we could not hear them. They had resurrection, and we did not believe them. But nevertheless, it was true. And in time, we saw it for ourselves, but their brave truth changed everything. And so for us today, friends, if we want to see resurrection in our world and stones roll away and life break forth, if we want to see resurrection in our world, we need to hear women. We need to hear other identities and races and hear survivors and hear their experiences and their obstacles and their suffering and their struggles and hear them and see them and believe them and care and change. Because right now, there are people in our world who are trying to tell our world the truth with a bravery and a courage and a compassion that is beyond comprehension. They're trying to tell us the truth, a hard truth. But they're telling us this because they still believe that there is hope, that hope is not gone, that in this truth and in the telling of it, that there is light, that there is healing, that there is resurrection available to us all. And like Hagar in the desert and the women in the garden, they have seen it first. And they're telling us these stones can be rolled away. They must be rolled away. Life can break forth again, and resurrection depends on it. We all depend on it. So children of God, children of the God called El Roy, the God who sees, we are called to see and to care and to change. And in the power of God today, it is possible. Hope is not gone. Resurrection is alive. And so may we listen, may we see, may we believe, may we, may I change. May we be inspired. May we have our hope multiplied by the brave hope of our sisters and hear their call to resurrection in our time. Liberation, transformation, and resurrection. This is God's work, and this is our work. It's the hope of the world. It's the hope of our God, who is love, who sees. Hagar taught us that. May we hear her. May we listen. May we see. May we change. Let's pray. Gracious, loving, tenaciously loving, steadfastly loving, gentle, strong, protective God. God of hope, God of life, God of liberation and transformation and resurrection. God, we want to see that in our time, in our world. We want to see the stones roll away. We want to see life break forth. And we want to see your promise in fullness. So as your people, people of a God who sees, may we see, may we hear, may we listen. For those of us who see, feel unseen, may we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you see us and you know us and you love us believe us and you care about us, but also that you promise 
that you are with us every step of our journey, multiplying in the way that only you can. But may we all today resolve to change, to see the sacred worth of our sisters and our siblings, and to be your kind of fiercely loving people who say you are worthy and I will respect and defend and lift up and empower and be a part of and admire and be inspired by. And I will listen to who you are that I might see the way that our God sees. May we be different tomorrow than we are today in the power of your grace. Amen. So this song that we are about to sing together um, was written for you. Um, for the ways that maybe you've been told that you cannot belong, um, for the places where you've been taught that who you are is shameful, for maybe the stories that you have that hurt, this song is for you. It was written for you, for those places, for those moments in your life to reclaim yourself and to remember that you are radiant, that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are believed, that you are whole right now, just as you are. So as we sing this song together, I just want to invite you to let it heal in some ways those places in your heart, in your life, in your story. And just remember that who you are is not an accident, that your story is valid, that your identity is beautiful, and that you are